Howdy, howdy there. Oh, hey. We're back with another episode of the Back Row Lessons podcast. Yeah, we actually... So excited. My name <laughs> is Paul Davis. This is my co-host. Nolan Meshke. We're excited to be back here. Yeah. Uh, we are in the midst... It might not seem like it, but I swear we're getting close to the American Revolution. We're at least getting to the <laughs> idea of America. I know we're about 100 years before it, but I swear... <laughs> You got to set the table before you have mm-hmm. dinner. And uh, today's a great episode. Today's a lot of fun. Yeah, we just uh, got to put all these puzzle pieces together. It's a lot of fucking puzzle pieces. And then realize you're missing one piece, get angry and flip the table that the puzzle's on. The missing piece metaphor you used right there is so on brand for what we're going to talk about today. I'm excited. <laughs> Wait, actually? Yes, very much so. <laughs> a missing piece. But uh, before we get into that, uh, this is the time where we get on our knees and beg for... Mm-hmm interaction (laughs) uh most of all we would love to see reviews on spotify itunes wherever you listen to us here Mm -hmm. um this week in particular i know you haven't left us a review or anything but because i can look at the analytics i want to give a shout out to the single person in brazil that at least started an episode of ours Nice. i don't know if you finished it (laughs) but if you did i appreciate it and i hope you come back there uh but Everyone else, we would also we also appreciate you. And if you stand out as much as that lone person in Brazil, yeah, we're in actually um, also on top of that, we're in a new space, so there might be an echo to this episode. Yeah, we're, we're uh, no longer in a Nolan is no longer in a studio apartment, so mm-hmm. we're figuring out our location here. But yeah, we're in my basement now. We've or moved up my roommate's down. basement. Yeah, I mean it's your basement if you're in a roommate situation. There. Yeah, it's not like you're a vagrant you know or a, mm-hmm. a squatter here i'm still like mentally moving in if that makes sense you pay rent damn it give yourself <laughs> some respect uh but before we jump in and after we've begged uh, for five star reviews mm-hmm. there we would like to also say our quick little i don't know parent advisory sticker mm-hmm. disclaimer uh, disclaimer thing real things are about to be said there yeah these things are uh researched written about and Later in the episode, I'll give you guys a. Sh- a, a there's going to be another shout out to an institution. So if they're Ooh. wrong, it's not on me. It's on them there. Right. So and Paul and I will be saying dry jokes. At least I oh, will. Gonna, and I'm going to hope they just land. There are things I texted you multiple times late at night when I was doing these notes where you woke up in the morning and probably were like, what the fuck is Paul talking about? Because those are things <laughs> I found for this episode. So it's going to be quite fun there but as i was kind of getting to everything here is real it's not made up uh as we like to say on this episode or on this series what episode are we recording this is episode six of season two okay i need to get my shit together and figure out what's going on welcome to life in 20s the 20s baby i don't know that you're if you're able to do this on the top of your head but are you able to summarize each like episode like in a very very like summarized way uh yeah i can at least give us the story where we're at here it's the, a story it's a it's about a, sto- a family uh so i guess a quick season recap oh as we always say we can't make this shit up oh there i was supposed go. to say with you wasn't i yeah whatever we can't make this shit up <laughs> perfect you know it's kind of we like, can't make this shit up oh sorry i'm late every time we do it it's going to be like the simpsons couch gag we're going to do it in new ways we're mm-hmm. going to get pop culture references it's going to be a lot of fun but season <laughs> One of these re- days we should just get a giant group of people and say it. <laughs> if we get enough fans um so the 
first our two, volunteers. One of the Sorry. other people we pay. <laughs> I'll people let you. we pay. Uh, first two <laughs> episodes or so were about the lost colony of Roanoke and how much of a disaster that was. And Atlantis. And Atlantis, mm-hmm. yeah. And the Bigfoot and the Yeti and all that fun stuff. Uh, yeah. And then we kind of moved into then future colonies of mm-hmm. Jamestown, then moved up in the last two episodes to kind of New York area, but at this time it's called New Amsterdam. Oh, yeah. And at one point, New Sweden. Okay. Sweden's out the game at this point. It's just the Dutch and the English in kind of America, what we would become known as America. Uh, France. Uh, what, wait, oh, sorry. I'll let you go. Oh, I was just about to say, France is a little bit farther north. Uh, at this point, it's just mainly the Dutch and the English in this part of the world. Okay. Competing, going at it, and we're going to see just how much they're going to so be competing. So which countries are col- trying to colonize the Americas right now? Uh, if you're going, the Americas for are... where ju- we left off, I where guess. We're looking at for the American Revolution, it's the Netherlands, the Dutch Republic. Nice. And at this point, the Kingdom of England, and uh, emphasizing the kingdom because things are going to change a little bit here today. Okay. So we're getting into new shit here. Oh, and I, one last thing I will mention where we left off was just kind of a grab bag of fun New York locations, their routes to New Amsterdam, mm-hmm. uh, such as your fascination with Coney Island sushi. I still don't fully understand that mental jump there but you know you you're like a david bowie type working in mysterious ways here here let me just finalize this now just coney sushi are you thinking of like kobe or like maybe kobe i just feel like i've thought i heard coney sushi before it just typed in county sushi that's not what you were thinking there kona sushi kona oh sushi okay that's a few layers, but I guess. But that's in Ontario. <laughs> Maybe that's what you're talking about. I don't, I've never been there. Anyway, it was worth a shot. You tried. But I still wanted sushi and like in did the moment I was it? talking about it. Did, no. you, did you have any afterwards? I made sushi yesterday for my sister's birthday. Boom. Yeah, she had like sushi making kits. So yeah. It's just. But after how, how right after that sell, episode, no. How do we sell this raw fish at five times the normal profit? <laughs> sushi kit. There we go. So information, not sushi. Uh, we are picking up in the 1650s here, mm-hmm. kind of late 1640s, 1650s, going a little bit further here. Uh, at this time, the Dutch Republic, you know, New Netherlands, old mm-hmm. old Netherlands, I guess, at this point. Uh, they are what you would call a golden age. They're, that's what they're in the middle of, a golden age. Uh, they are doing incredible for themselves. They have a worldwide empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we focus mainly on the colony in America as we're doing a podcast on the American Revolution. Who would have thought that we would focus on that part of the world? I'm shocked there. <laughs> but the entire nation, pretty much the companies, the Dutch East India Company, and then our favorite, the Dutch West India Company, or the DWI. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Which is great. It's pretty much... I described it myself as i am so great uh as a lean mean modern financing machine they okay. are a lot of economic historians point to this as the prototype of the modern nation and all that shit here uh, manufacturing textile so clothing all that fun stuff is a big part of their economy and it's been for a few centuries here uh the entire everything's underwater we have no farming we're really good at sewing, though, so maybe we focus <laughs> on that there. 
another big thing is trading grain. So, you know, staples, things people have to eat here. Okay. Uh, from her recent book on the Baltic grain trade, Professor <laughs> Milja van Tielhoff defined the mother trade as the oldest and most substantial trade for ships, sailors, and commodities in the Netherlands. Mm. And if you're wondering, who is this Milja van Tielhoff woman? What does she know? She is an economic historian. She's who- a what? kind of woman she she's an economic <laughs> what did you just call her yeah. a milda van Tielhof? i don't even know like well i'm just trying to figure out okay this is a professor is. she is an economic historian who wrote her phd thesis on the gr- dutch grain trade from 1470 to 15 oh i wrote that as from 1470 to 1547 mm-hmm. so 14,000 years. So this woman has, this is my bad, but she's accidentally predicted the Dutch grain trade for the next 14,000 years. Wait, when was she alive? No, I'm, she's alive now. I just, I just misread my notes there. Okay. But yeah, from, it was 1540s until, so she, she's just an expert on this kind of shit. And last time, what's her name? Milja, M-I-J-L-A. Okay. A very hot name right there. That's (laughs) bombshell. Van Tielhof, which is, T-I-E-L-H-O-F. Oh, is that what I heard earlier? Your her name? I just me trying weird. it. Okay. Milja Van Tielhoof. Would it be rude to just call her Mil? Yeah, let's just call her Mila. Amila? Mila. Mila? I, or, or just not or, Mil? <laughs> me, me. Like, uh, she's a big fan of yeah. uh, making characters on the Wii. We'll do Mila. Mila. Well, she's never mentioned again, so. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I just needed her for her quote there. Sorry. Okay, another big part, so textiles, grain, and then the other big thing is fishing industry. Okay. Uh, like the Baltic grain trade, it also kind of led to the Dutch being so shippy, <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so much on the water. Uh, oh, we're always on the water doing shit here. The mm-hmm. heart of the fishing industry was the North Sea herring fishery, which... In- herring fishery. A fish, like just a, a big fishing company of herrings. Okay. So they're in the North Sea, which included a form of, of a factory ship called the Herring Bus... Ooh. which is slightly smellier than the magic school bus it I sounds told. like a large dark jar of like pickled herring i would get at costco i feel <laughs> that like oh i got a herring bus there's yeah. about 500 <laughs> of them in this little container it's like i had 10 pieces which is good but i don't want the rest yeah I, whew, it, just, it smells here <laughs> uh the herring bus allowed them to catch the fish and be processed at sea so pretty much skipping another step of going back and having to process it so mm-hmm. that they can do it on there. This is like the prototype to uh, Deadliest Catch, pretty much. But oh, wow. They, they don't have the TV crew at this point here. It's probably, like, way more dangerous, obviously, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, shit, Wait scurvy. So they would, like, catch the fish, and, like, how far would they have to, like, sail to, like, deliver that fish? Would Where, that fish go I, so, bad? Or was, like, freezing well, the, the winter Because or they could preserve them on this on the ship they could okay. be out there for longer times and they didn't oh, they could come back with bigger catches so nice uh yeah the big thing is that they could be at sea longer and it made their range go further because they didn't need to think about what you were saying with the oh is this fish gonna go bad and are we yeah. just a, a ship of rotten fish <laughs> is not very appealing to other nations there okay uh the hair this is this is a uh, one of those facts that just change changed my life and it's probably going to change your you're life. talking about the heroin the heroin fisherman fisherman the, the heroin fishers of herring of herring the herring <laughs> fishery reached its zenith in the first half of the 17th century estimates put the size of the fleet at roughly 500 buses and that could catch about 33,000 metric tons each year on average 
of herrings. So that was great for like the economy. Oh yeah, like they civilization. Like they, they were they're a small country, and like I'm pretty sure that equals probably to like a ton a person of mm-hmm. herring. At least 500 pounds per person yeah. could get of just straight fish. And everyone got their healthy omega threes. Yeah, th- this is the healthiest. That's why they're Before, so tall. Like mercury poisoning <laughs> and plastic too. That must have been some great fish. Either it's great or it's terrible because they have no spices. <laughs> Either it's like this is where I'm surprised sushi didn't come out of this country because they're just in so much raw fish. Uh, now the other big thing is the Dutch colonial companies now kind of come together as one big company Mm -hmm. they've had ports and territories across the world pretty much supporting a global trade network okay uh from japan to wait which country is this again the netherlands netherlands yeah so so, they got a fish thing going on yeah so imagine everything i've just said and then add wooden clogs on the feet of everyone you just pictured that's the dutch (laughs) that's the dutch there uh however not everything is going smooth for the Dutch in the 1650s, even though it is their Dutch age or their golden age, and uh, they're making a shitload of money. They're going all for bad stuff here. Uh, along with the war in Sweden that we mentioned last episode, the mm-hmm. uh, peach tree war, where everyone thought it was over a peach tree, but it was actually deep, rich geopolitics. Yeah. Uh, in the early years of the 1650s, we also saw the first Anglo Dutch war which is England and the Netherlands mm-hmm. going to war here. And at this point, it's actually called the Commonwealth of England. I'll explain how that kind of changes points here. The English had been previously close allies with the Dutch. They're very similar language-wise, if you like go back to roots and stuff like that. Okay. And most of all, the English hated the Spanish, and the Dutch were trying to break away from the Spanish. So it's like, hey, we agree on something here. Nice. Um, so it's very close to that, but... The big thing is they are starting to turn against each other here. Okay. Uh, yeah, exactly there. I did my two-finger motion. They're turning against each other. I did a fort noise for no reason. I love the sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's how we increase our production value, <laughs> damn it. Uh, the rush in the 16th and 17th century, so 15 and 1600. So rush was a band that long. I know. They they were like, you hear that fucking drum solo? Yeah. <laughs> I hear it over the lands there. No, it's like the, the <laughs> mad dash for all these different lands and new colonies in the 15 and 1600s. Okay, so it's becoming like people have figured out a system of like making it work yeah the new co- not dropping people off and they die yeah they the <laughs> english realize oh if we actually support them they do well and yeah then, then the uh, dutch come in and do the same thing and now you have two people competing just in america and then uh, in every other place around the world you have european colonies going for mm-hmm. this south america japan india all kinds of fun and terrible stuff going on right now there yeah Big thing is the Dutch had made peace with Spain and then quickly replaced the English as the dominant traders with the Spanish Empire here. So they are replacing one country with another country. I bet that other country that got replaced is totally going to be okay with it and let it happen with no military reprisals (laughs) at all, I bet, here. Um, Now, I know this is a quote from the 20th century, but it's very relevant as the American 20th century poet Christopher Wallace once remarked, "Mo money, mo problems." <laughs> it's, 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 it's biggie. Um, by the middle of True, the very, he when he was writing that song, he was looking at these same exact wars. He's like, "Yeah, oh, man, 
I need to make a thesis statement. <laughs> By the middle of the 1600s, the Dutch had built by far the largest fleet of pretty much merchant vessels, just boats for trading. But isn't it a mixture of fisher, fishing ships? Yeah, or, okay. it's those fishing ships. It's those trading ships. It's multi-use ships. Yeah, it's multi-use ships, like multi-use buildings here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they had the largest in Europe with more ships than every other state combined. So they were so much focused on merch, like trading overseas trading that mm -hmm. if you put england and spain and france and you put all their merchant ships together they wouldn't equal the size of the netherlands here no way uh i bet that's definitely not creating any jealousy or envy okay or and any... then um quick question yes. so like the netherlands um did they they've been in the picture for a while right on the colonizing thing at this point they've kind of been in it they've been in it for a while here probably a few decades at least if not more okay i think at least like so they're the best at it right now however you want to at least pound for pound yeah like for, for being as small as they are yeah as a small burgeoning country they're mm -hmm. doing really well they're hitting above their weight class here nice uh being the best at colonization is hard to quantify and i don't think any country at this point in the 20s in the 2020s want to be like yeah we were the fucking best at that <laughs> yo they put the gold medal around their neck fuck them um, yeah yeah bitch <laughs> uh where okay there we are um yeah so they have the largest fleet disparity between england and the netherlands increased in part because unlike the english the dutch were based in free trade mm -hmm. they didn't have tariffs they didn't have regulations of that it mm -hmm. was easier to do business with dutch traders that's a big thing you didn't have to jump through a bunch of fucking hoops and shit to uh trade some fucking beaver pelts you yeah. know it, it's an easy thing and the english trade market that they traditionally had old ones in like Eastern Europe and stuff started mm -hmm. to go to the Dutch. They were like, it's way easier and they're way closer and they aren't rambling about Jesus and like the King. And it's, it's really less drama with these Dutch. Oh, God, I got in my eye. oh my God, are you dying? Oh, sorry. If I was giving like a weird look, Oh my I God. I saw you kind of struggle in there. Oh fuck. What is this? Do you need help? You need any water? Okay. I'm good. I, lo I love the action sequence we have now. Okay, you so just, like saw me randomly twitching. <laughs> I'll just kind of redo that real quick here. So, because it's easier to do trade with the Dutch over the English, mm -hmm. they're choosing the Dutch over trading with their old partners in the English here. Mm -hmm. And uh, the biggest thing is, uh, even as Eng uh, even as England—that's a tongue twister right there. Yeah, kind of pretty much changes their entire world, their entire government. Uh, one thing did remain in the new government, the new regime, and that's fuck the Dutch. Uh, it's a moniker that they would engrave and get tattooed. No, mm -hmm. <laughs> they get a bunch of tattoos. That's just the Netherlands flag and a middle finger right there. Uh, August 1642. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I just realized I had my bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck the Dutch, man. Fuck them. August 1642, even with the first English Civil War breaking out here, uh, both sides in this in the civil war, which is mm -hmm. the parliamentarians who support parliament mm -hmm. and the royalists who support the king, pretty much. Uh, both of them, even though they're in the middle of a civil war, both come to agree and place an embargo on Dutch ships. They're like, we fucking hate each other, but we hate the Dutch more. <laughs> so let's embargo them. Let's keep them out. Okay. Uh, Dutch ships were then seized in English ports. 
building more tension and hostilities between both countries, even though the Dutch were trying to keep a trading relationship, they realized, hey, if we trade with them, we make more money and they can fucking piss off here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So even though we spent season one going pretty in detail and up the butt of English history here, we are going to gloss over see season one we kind of had like a, a plan of where we were gonna go and then we didn't go where we yeah were gonna we, go. we rerouted a little bit this yeah. one is going a little bit yeah better. we're on path we're, for this one it's a it's a scenic route but we're yeah. on path like if we're right. getting on path it's not like completely a new destination <laughs> if, if we're getting off path it's to a really fun roadside attraction yeah like a weird place here but <laughs> so even though we spent a lot of time in detail in england we're going to gloss over one of the most important things in all of english history arguably Mm -hmm. which are the series of english civil wars yeah um if you do want us to cover us cover those events the best way to let us know is give us reviews and leave them in the reviews is tell us (laughs) to cover the english civil war it's weird uh from 1642 to 1651 so about nine years england Mm -hmm. went through what many will call three separate civil wars happening uh or as a large amount call that just altogether the English Revolution here, uh, revolting in such events as the execution of the King Charles I in 1649, the exile of his son Charles II in 1651, and then the replacement of a pure English monarchy with kind of a new style of government called the Commonwealth of England, which is a weird kind of democracy at first turned authoritarian dictatorship within two years sounds messy oh it's about to get a lot of fun because in the year of 16 six, yeah 1653 uh they Good become year. yeah I, I remember it fondly <laughs> uh because i've been doing so much research uh they come under the rule of that authoritarian dictator the man named the lord protector yeah. oliver cromwell here uh, as, so that's what I mean by the authoritarian dictatorship, and we'll get into it just a little bit. Here. Okay. Estimates say so that. So is this guy a dick? Yes. Okay. Woo. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no woo. I don't know what. I'm you'll hear woos here. It's I'll a just, weird. It's a weird. No, dick. it was just. Yeah. Exactly. I yep. love the sound effects. I swear. Mm. <laughs> Estimates say that from 1638, a few years before, to 1651, 15 to 20 percent of all adult males in England, England and Wales, served in the military. And around 4% of the total population died from the relating wars. Oh, fuck. Which, if you want to compare it to a modern war, World War I resulted in 2.2% of all English people dying. Wait, really? Yeah, so this killed almost twice, 14, twice as percentage-wise. We, it's hard. I didn't check up the population. Wait, but, what was the 15 to 20%? Oh, the 15% to, 15 to 20% was of all adult males in England who served in the military for and this. died not died just served in the military four okay. percent is the total population of all england and wales that died shit yeah so okay a shitload of them the Eng- the civil wars here effectively set england and scotland on course towards parliamentary monarchy uh so not just our outright god appoints our monarch there's mm-hmm. a little bit of argument going on here and they still are kind of in a similar vein to this day here. Hmm. Now, despite the Dutch Republic, it's a Republic and the Commonwealth having kind of similar politics, uh, that really made them unique to the rest of Europe. Everyone else is pretty much just in a, a monarch 
these people have mm-hmm. a little bit of democracy going on here. Uh, both, and they were both kind of Protestant. They weren't really big Catholic Catholics. Uh, increasing tension over naval trade brought them st- closer and closer to full out war between each other here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not fans of each other. October 1651, the English Parliament passes the first of the Navigation Acts, making that that only English ships and ships from the originating country could import goods to England. So only Oh, English. so like they can't trade with anybody else? Yeah, it's or buy from anyone yeah, else. Yeah, protectionism. Buy, sell, or yeah, pay. it's you got to have English people here. Uh, this was particularly aimed at the Dutch for their trade. There. Why don't they just like single out the Dutch, or would that like be even more risky? It would be a lot more obvious if they say, "Oh, we're going to ban everyone." They can kind of have a little bit of plausible. Yeah. Isn't that like how like World War One started? It's because Germany was just like not like allowed. Like they were there's a, really a lot of country, but a lot of people didn't want to trade with them. So there's a lot pissed. of things in it, but they were very isolated. And then one attack. But they didn't want to be isolated, though, right? After. I'm, maybe you're thinking between the two world wars because leading up to it, they were like still a Kaiser and still like a pretty authoritarian big place there. Mm-hmm. Uh, between World War One and World War Two is when they became a lot more isolated because everyone hated them for World War One. But yeah, but uh, I'm pretty sure before then they wanted to. I don't know. Everyone, I'll figure ev- it out on Wikipedia or YouTube. I know great sources. Or tweet at us. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, now this was off. This measure, the Navigation Act, was used as a pretext to seize Dutch ships as well. As a general, George Monk once said, quote, the Dutch have too much trade and the English are resolved to take it from them. So, yeah, you know, that's pretty obvious. What are we going to do? We're going to take it from them. <laughs> uh, the biggest thing about this conflict was that it was almost fought entirely. The first Anglo-Dutch war. Mm-hmm. This war was fought almost entirely at sea between the navies here. There's no really big land battles or anything because mm-hmm. it's just across a fucking the channel pretty much. If you get a big enough gun, you could shoot one from the other here. Uh, one battle I saw, though, I, I didn't get a lot of details, but I just thought it was funny. One battle was called the Battle of Leghorn, and I thought that was a pretty fun name. Uh, eventually, the English forced the Dutch back to their home ports. Wait, that, the Battle of Leghorn? Yeah. I Wait, just, why was it funny? It's Leghorn. I don't know. I like that name. Okay. It's a fun name. Uh, like Leghorn, uh, old... That uh, battle had nice legs. Exactly. And you could <laughs> sing off them. Uh, th- so the, eventually the Dutch were pushed back to their home ports of, in you know the Netherlands. And a blockade of the Dutch coast started, which really started to cripple the economy in the Netherlands here. It's a good way to win a war, you know, do them. Uh, leading the negotiations and the entire Commonwealth of England at this time was that gentleman I named earlier, uh, Oliver Cromwell. Oh, yeah. So now if you recognize that name Cromwell, we talked as extensively in season one about a gentleman named Cromwell, Thomas Cromwell. Mm. Oliver's, okay, this is like Spaceballs level connection. Like, <laughs> like Oliver's <laughs> great-great-grandmother, Catherine Cromwell, was the sister of Thomas Cromwell. So his yeah. great-great-grand-uncle? No, great 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 uncle was thomas cromwell <laughs> like i said Wait, what were all the family members and like um space balls? oh it was like your Something father's shit. mother's brothers sisters college roommates oh that twinners. scene yeah that okay. scene where he's telling <laughs> what him does that make us absolutely nothing <laughs> and then they start attacking with the schwartz here so oliver cromwell <laughs> he's the your schwartz is as big as mine <laughs> i fucking love that scene because just of how like it 
it casually breaks the fourth wall where he accidentally yeah. kills a crew member <laughs> and he just points at Lone Star and goes, yeah. it was him. And then he starts attacking and him. You remember that the conversion fan I had growing up with the TV in it? You oh, know? yeah, I love that. The youngest out of five kids. And we would go to Ohio and back to Minnesota to visit family every so often. And then I remember like we would take turns watching movies and my f- siblings you know rightfully so it's like nolan just pick a different movie because i would want to watch that over and over and it's, over again it's still my favorite yeah. movie to this day <laughs> so oliver cromwell he's in charge of the entire kingdom commonwealth whatever you want to call it he's the large man mm-hmm. in charge for the first 40 years of his life pretty much oliver cromwell remains in pretty much obscurity okay as he once remarked that he was quote by birth a gentleman living neither in considerable height nor yet in obscurity. So what he said there is, I definitely would not make the NBA with my starting height right now. I am not seven foot tall. I would not be able to get up in the paint right there. Um, That's totally what he was saying there. He was over 40 years old when he first started to have a military career, really growing to kind of be known in the civil wars in England. Okay. Um, He started, he, they were like, whoa, that guy's not tall enough to be in the NBA, but he's not obscure yet. Uh, By the early 1650s, Cromwell uh, could not agree with his parliaments. He would call parliaments. He would disagree with them. Mm-hmm. He dismissed them and then instead ruled the country through his major general. Rising up, but by the early 1650s, Oliver Cromwell here, he's running into uh, disagreements with parliament. He's mm. not a big fan of them. So instead of... Wait, is he just like losing money or something? He's not losing money. He just wants to enact things and get things done in there stifling him and what he would want to get done by himself okay so as every great leader would do uh he as every great military or political leader would do he Mm -hmm. uh dismissed all of parliament and instead (laughs) ruled the country through his major generals uh now this is a time where england is pretty much a military dictatorship and from him or just other someone else from he's at the top he is the military dictator of england at this point uh he is taking over the country here and that's rubbing people the wrong way oh very much so (laughs) um by november 1653 uh just about maybe a year or so into his reign you could call it uh cromwell (laughs) is anxious to make peace as things start to turn against the english uh in this anglo-dutch war Okay. Uh, the Dutch start to capture English merchant ships. At first, Cromwell's original aim uh, was to wrap up the war. It would be to have a union that would pretty much make the Dutch subordinate to the English. He's like, hey, what about you work for me here? Uh, which everyone seems to do at some point in this fucking story. Like, okay. The natives are going to the Swedes. Like, how about you work for me? The Dutch are going to the natives. <laughs> going, how about you work for me? Everyone wants to work for someone else here. Yeah. Um, and... Then he also saw this. He saw this as pretty much a way to revitalize the destroyed English economy. the The Dutch were taking it from the English here, and this war did not help that in any way here. So, oh wow, the English economy is pretty much just dust dust at this point. Um, however, Cromwell wished to settle the fight and avoid further conflict with the Dutch Republic. He didn't really want another war happening as he was also currently planning to start another war with Spain. I don't want to fight you. I want to fight those guys over there, (laughs) motherfucker. Um, Now, all of this... Is he hoping to 
get out back on their side and be against the Spain as a, a duo or whatever. Pretty much, yeah. He sees that as like, oh, if we fight Spain and they we force them into making us their trading partners, we'll be back to where we were. But was pissing off the Dutch his fault? Not necessarily his fault, but okay. he doesn't help it at the yeah. same time. It's it's not his. <laughs> he's trying not, to stay on his. Yeah, he's not the Francis Drake of this. He's just an asshole. Okay. Um, so that leads to the Treaty of Westminster. I think I'm not speaking into my mic right. Uh, Treaty of Westminster, uh, just like the dog show. Do uh, not move it this way, actually. No, I got it good. Okay. I got it good. Yeah. So this is the Treaty of Westminster, which was signed in April 1654. Mm. The big kind of sole condition that uh, Oliver Cromwell had was mm-hmm. that he required the Dutch agree that uh, no Prince of Orange and the Orange family was like a pretty powerful and connected uh, political family in the Netherlands here. No one from that family or other members of the House of Orange, so the whole entire family tree, uh, could hold the highest office in the Netherlands here or pretty much any other public office in the entire country. He's like, how about you just ban an entire family? You know, that's my one Wow. That's my okay. one real condition. Uh, and there's political beefs on both sides of that. I'll get in a little bit of it okay. later on. Initially, however, this was not part of the formal treaty. Uh, two members of the negotiating team from uh, one of the provinces in the Netherlands, however, agreed to secretly add this later on to the treaty. So a little sneaky, sneaky agreement there, a little backroom deal happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rivalry between the English and the Dutch, uh, it wasn't really resolved or ended. It was mainly just the fighting was finished. The feelings remained here. Um, and especially in the overseas colonies, that we talk about hostilities continued between the Dutch and the English trading companies. It wasn't very much a political thing to them. It was, if I don't get this, you know, this trade good back to Europe, I can't feed myself. (laughs) Uh, so they don't really give a shit about those politics there. Um, so this first Anglo Dutch war is finished. They've settled it. They are not really fighting, but they're still kind of pissed off at each other here. Uh, but, before we get back to the new world, these colonies, we do need to just talk quickly about Cromwell, Oliver okay. Cromwell, his reign, and then eventually what happens to his body parts, pretty much. Oh, fuck. Okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't expect that one there. Uh, now, before, That's a huge jump, so I yeah, have so boom. many questions. I guess I'll body just parts, listen. and that just leaves it up to interpretation. <laughs> now, Cromwell's going to do a lot of shitty things. It's like, kind of like a true crime thing going on. Very much. Oh, yeah, I like it. Ooh, well, I'll, I I'll list this in both uh, genres, history and true crime. Um, <laughs> boom, we'll get both the audiences. Uh, now, Cromwell did... But it's not unsolved, though, right? No, this isn't like that dude who we had to read the fucking article about. Uh, there's a little mystery but um okay. now he's done a lot of shitty things cromwell you can read a lot uh-huh. of stuff about he did not tip he was yeah he, he, did, he was mm-hmm. a bad tipper that was the yeah. big thing that everyone knows he all was of rude it. to the server he would dem- he would hold his hand up while mm-hmm. waiting for service which is something my grandmother and he does. never did acts of service or words of affirmation to his loved ones <laughs> <laughs> he never did services he never yeah. he, he just read 
Flag. Yeah. His nickname was Red Flag Cromwell. And That's worst what they, of all, he always extended his taxes due dates. <laughs> he would be on the bus and he would play his music through a speaker. This son of a bitch. <laughs> that fucking he's, monster. He's the one guy in the living room that like has his phone really loud, just stupid videos while everyone's trying to enjoy a movie. <laughs> yeah. He, he brought his laptop to the movie theater. The son of a bitch. Uh, a fucking monster. However, he did one not entirely terrible thing here. Um, Cromwell. <laughs> Sorry. I know. <laughs> I mean, okay, there's a lot of bad things he can do. You can look up his invasions. You can look up this. But but he actually didn't do any of those things. Just to say. It's all a conspiracy. Nothing <laughs> Whoever needed happened. to hear that. It's all a conspiracy. Nothing is real. Um, <laughs> Cromwell was aware of how in the Netherlands, a big thing was the Jewish community's involvement in the economy. He okay. saw how a lot of Jewish communities and just groups of jews in the netherlands had a lot to offer to the economies here not stereotypes we're not doing stereotypes okay we're not doing like oh they control but the bank he said that like yeah okay. no th- like there's ostensible proof that like these jewish communities in countries that they weren't banned in had a lot to offer okay um somewhere somehow within his military but like but on a real note like that jewish people have always like had issues throughout history with, oh yeah like, very much so. yeah yeah okay. very much so. this is one of very few times where there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for oh, okay. one of the few times <laughs> one of maybe five times yeah. i don't know after seinfeld went off the air it's been dark but um oh. r.i.p hey it's passover um <gasps> seinfeld's mother oh yeah the um, mother just recently passed away that's three of the, the actors yeah the actress yeah mm-hmm. that's three relatives that have passed like in the past 18 months because both oh his, wow well jerry ben stiller's dad right ben stiller's yeah. dad i think the mother passed away a few weeks ago like george costanza's mom okay and then yeah her she passed away yesterday i so, saw uh, rest in peace i mean they're all old so it's yeah that's not to talk about actually to talk about space balls again because i love talking about space balls uh the <laughs> celebrity that i'm worried the most and i'm already emotionally prepared to pass as mel brooks because he's like 97 oh years you're old. right he sir he was in comedy in uh-huh. show business in world war ii <laughs> shit that's how old he is so no way i'm well, emotionally that reminds prepared. me of the song landslide landslide yeah uh but okay for back, all these back, people but anyway back to history i guess not space balls unfortunately <laughs> um so somehow within this military dictatorship where he's imposing authoritarian you know rule cromwell still worked for this weird tolerance of the right to private worship even those for those who fell outside of his religion puritanism so he Mm -hmm. was okay with some forms of free worship as we're going to find out in a little bit in the episode here uh this led him to encourage jews to return to england in the 1650s mainly starting in 1657 which was actually over 350 years after jews were banished from england by edward king edward in 1290 so this is well over 300 years of banishment uh but it wasn't like oh i just i want to have a haven of jews it was mainly in the hope that they would help speed up the recovery of the country after the civil wars like are you guys rich maybe you should bring that up here now (laughs) uh cromwell also hoped uh part part you know reason one Mm-hmm. I hope they would help the economy. Reason two, he also hoped they would convert to Christianity and therefore hasten the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's putting a lot of eggs in these baskets. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> I need you to save my country and bring Jesus Christ back. Can you do that for me? <laughs> oh, God. Um, also, 
weirdly, Cromwell was said to be a supporter of this weird idea-slash-conspiracy theory that the people of the British Isles are, quote, genetically, racially, and linguistically the direct descendants of the ten lost tribes of ancient Israel. That's a claim. That's quite a claim. A belief known as British Israelism. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This idea... Kind of reminds me like modern-day Mormonism in a weird way. (laughs) It is this, this... Like, there's traces of these weird theories going back to this time. This idea has also been attributed to Francis Drake and King James 6 slash 1, the one okay. king who he, King James, believed he was the king of Israel. So he's, he's hardcore about that idea. Right? <laughs> I'm the king of Israel, motherfucker. Quote, this is a more accurate quote. Quote, yeah. the central tenets of British Israelism have been refuted by evidence from modern archaeological, ethnological, genetic, and linguistic research. So uh, that's four different places of proving this one wrong here. (laughs) You don't really get shut down four times there, but yeah. yeah. So that leads to Cromwell. Like, it's a part of his belief of if we get all the Jews back, they'll see that we're the real israelites and jesus will come back he'll just arrive in london one day and we'll be sweet this is like such a stretch for him to like make this work in his mind he's really jumping here uh now in 1658 i wonder like what this is i feel like this is like a weirdly personal thing he wants to prove (laughs) we'll see it i'll explain in a little while here how just how christian this guy was you'll okay you'll be speechless to just how christian this guy was but there's like this weird inverseness where you become so Christian, you actually become Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just this weird kind of gray area thing. Just trying to get back to your roots. He's Yeah, he's really, I really need curly hair and no foreskin, god damn it. <laughs> 1658. Um, he's only been kind of Lord <laughs> Protector of England for a couple of years here. After a few months of building physical illness, Oliver Cromwell, at age 59 dies in the afternoon of September 3rd. Uh, this is thought to have been due to a lot of things, especially relating to a form of malaria. So he pretty much died. They, t- they said it was malaria, and everyone kept citing his daughter dying at some point. So I don't know if it was actual legit heartbreak that his daughter died, or he just had a really bad case of malaria at the same time his daughter died. Mm-hmm. Um, now, like English monarchs before him, his death and funeral were treated with the same level of respect as a full-blown monarch even though he pretty much led a uh, beheading of a monarch only like a, a decade before here yeah he was buried with a great ceremony and an elaborate funeral here his body was embalmed then sealed in a lead casket which was then placed in a wooden coffin and then it was placed next to like a lifelike effigy of oliver cromwell here so they have a giant two-tiered or two-layer coffin, and then a bust of Oliver Cromwell right next to his coffin right there. Uh, The effigy was decorated with royal symbols, including, quote, a rich suit of uncut velvet laced with a rich gold lace and furs. Upon the kirtle, which is like a part of this whole fucking thing here uh, um that's not a quote you'll hear in a college lecture it's part of this whole fucking thing going on right now <laughs> here uh the kirtle is the royal large robe of 
what looks like purple velvet lace, again, with rich strings and tassels of gold. Mm -hmm. So they're just draping this dead dude with velvet and gold, as we all would love to be. Um, Upon his head sat the cap of regality of, again, purple velvet. The man loves his purple. What is going on here? They're dressing his casket, this guy's body up for his funeral here. Uh, Upon the cushion of the chair, so kind of sitting next to his casket here, stands the imperial crown set with precious stones. So okay. This is a very... I thought you were going to say they were like he had him upright dead or oh, something. Oh, that would be like... fucking sweet. Like, oh, just like a dead dude. Like that... I don't vir- know about sweet. I'd be creeped out. Well, did you see that viral video like a week or two ago? The rapper who he had his body involved and yeah. set up at a club. That's yeah. what... That, this is the royal British equivalent. And I think in that. South America, like I saw a few things of like people like still doing that. Oh, yeah. They're they're a little wild down there. Yeah. Right? You know, like, YOLO. Uh, but <laughs> so it's a very posh, Yolo. velvety, <laughs> golden funeral arrangement going on here. Okay. Uh, the funeral ceremony was delayed twice to fully prepare for it, um, finally making its way through London in November 20, uh, or on November 23rd, 1658, uh, which, if you notice, is almost two full months after... No, it's actually almost three full months after he's dead because he mm-hmm. died in the beginning of September. Um, yeah. However, Cromwell's body had already been buried at Westminster Abbey for two weeks at this point due to his fast decay because they waited almost three months to do a funeral arrangement. <laughs> so they're leading this coffin, this casket thing, with no body in it because he's already been buried. Cool. <laughs> That's weird. Very cool, guys, here. Uh, to solve this problem... Uh, Catafalc, whoa, uh, catafalc, which is a raised box or similar platform uh, that is used to support the casket, coffin, or a body during a funeral service. So it's like a big fucking thing. Like a stand for the coffin. Yeah, it's like a fancy funeral thing. It has its thing. own name. Yeah, okay. I, I thought it was like a like a sarcophagus, but no. <laughs> uh, it was built to maneuver his coffin, which was similar to the one that was made for King James the first, the okay. old king. However, it's was just, it on wheels? If I no, it's not on wheels because I that saw them. Nice. Like, I, yeah, it would be. I saw him carrying it. Oh, um, okay. But so it was similar to the one that was built for King James, not LeBron, the King mm-hmm. James here, but described as quote much more stately and expensive. So suck on that, James. Uh, mine's <laughs> way more m- more expensive here. Uh, on the same day, so that's his funeral here. Yep, he's dead. He's in the ground. However. England keeps on going. You know, life goes on pretty much. Is it not a dictatorship anymore then? It's kind of. It's in the it's in limbo because on the same day that Oliver Cromwell died, his son Richard Cromwell, aged thirty-two, uh-huh. was informed that he was to succeed him as the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, Scotland, okay. and Ireland. Okay. All of those isles are your now. However, uh for better or for worse. Is there a dog behind me? Oh, no, I'm just scratching my foot. Okay, I thought there was a dog behind me. <laughs> just like a ominous dog behind me yeah. here. Uh, for better or for worse, he was not the same level of politician that he, his dad was. Uh, like, in a, like, he, what like, do you mean? Like he's he not a good smart? Well, like, politicians do often have certain skills that other people don't, like how to talk to people, how to gain yeah. support. He probably didn't have those here. Uh, now, Dick Cromwell here faced two big problems when he was suddenly made the Lord Protector here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big thing is the army questioned his authority as the highest commander. It's a military dictatorship, after all. However, uh, Crom- Cromwell's son here mm-hmm. didn't have the military experience like his father. 
His father was a soldier who. So was it like just he didn't get the respect he like asked for, or so this, the way that Oliver Cromwell was in the in these civil wars and then fought and then eventually became a military dictatorship. Oh, okay. The army respected him because they were like, oh, he's our biggest commander. So there's like this. Is he pretty much like a dick? Wait, a spoiled kid getting this? Not necessarily position? spoiled, but a child falling into bad responsibility, oh, like falling into okay. his father's responsibility without his father's experience Guidance pretty much or whatever. yeah yeah teachings experience so he really shouldn't be in this position. yeah he and he won't be i'll show you oh wow uh, <laughs> wow <laughs> don't believe me just watch um so yeah the the army is questioning his authority which in a military dictatorship probably not a good thing uh and then in true english royal fashion as we've seen many times before mm-hmm. oliver left richard with a kingdom just draped in millions and millions of pounds of debt Due to his military campaign. So this is now maybe the third or fourth time this has happened where a monarch just leaves and leaves their kid with a shitload of debt. Oh, my God. So you have a people questioning if you're actually in charge. And then on the other side, when you are in charge, you're faced with a shitload of debt. Um, (laughs) Man, I wonder why no one wants to be king. Uh, Richard was never prepared or trained to deal with these kinds of politics or problems he's Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't think he would die that quick so he just didn't show up to work one day and it's like yeah this is not i'm out uh (laughs) we're getting close to it no call no show (laughs) yeah no call no show (laughs) hello richard richard you're on the schedule we know you're on the schedule (laughs) closing saturday um now so because of this and really each move he tried to make to fix these issues Things got worse. <laughs> in true fashion, obviously. Uh, Parliament was called to fix the financial problems, but it was really hard to agree on solutions on what to do because trade was falling apart here. Mm. Attempted reforms to the military were also filled with problems, leading to increasing tensions between the Cromwell regime and the troops. And as a military dictatorship, it's probably never good to have your troops angry at you. Yeah. Probably not. Um <laughs> After around nine months... just pretty much have nothing at that point. Yeah. After about nine months as the Lord Protector, like you were saying, Richard pretty much just said, fuck it and peaced out from being the Lord Protector. (laughs) May 25th, 1659, uh, the Rump Parliament, which is what this Parliament session was called, the Rump Parliament, Mm -hmm. which is the first name for uh, Parliament Funkadelic, but they're like, too sexual. We need something different. <laughs> the rump parliament that Dick had called for agreed that in exchange for paying off his debts, his mm. his debts, and providing him with a pension, all or Dick Cromwell, I'm sorry, would issue a formal letter resigning his position as Lord Protector. Okay. He's like, pay off my debts, give me a little bit of, you know, a pension money, and I'll just leave and give you guys whatever the fuck you want. I don't want to okay. deal with this shit anymore. Uh, they agreed to it here he continued to live in the palace of whitehall until july of that year so for about two months Uh when he was forced to move out by the parliament so he got evicted here so he quit (laughs) his job and he got evicted this man is depressed i'm sorry yeah he's just he's like i want to move to california and live in a van fuck it (laughs) i got a cheap one off craigslist i'm gonna spend it i'm just gonna spruce it up a little bit i'm just gonna be free man Wait, was he like forced to do that i'm trying to play it off that that's what he he was forced out of the palace yeah he was like i'm out here um after uh cromwell's fall here after after the Cromwell regime is over pretty much here. The royalists rejoice at this news, the people who were supporting the king pretty much, not parliamentarians. Mm-hmm. And many satirical attacks surfaced in which 
Oliver Cromwell's son here, Richard Cromwell, was given such nicknames as, quote, Tumble Down Dick. <laughs> Wait, really? That's one. And Tumble the, Down Dick? Tumble Down Dick and my personal favorite and the one I sent to you, quote, Queen Dick. That's it. Queen okay. Dick, baby. <laughs> Which has a lot more t- connotations in I 2022. Sorry, I was on a weird headspace that time when you sent me that. And it was like 1.30 <laughs> in the fucking morning, yeah. too. So, yeah, Queen Dick here is gone. Um, power of the kingdom mm-hmm. went from Queen Dick to the rump parliament. Ooh. Also, I just need to say this. Sounds wrong saying that. I know, it does. It's sensual. It sounds like a bad attempt at a sexual <laughs> joke, too. I know, like, oh, the rump parliament. It's like, it sounds like you're something like your grandma would say. Yeah. I, I totally like. like a, don't like a, get yourself tangled in our empowerment. Yeah, that's a that's a fifties dirty <laughs> joke right there. That that's what they called the uh, after hours uh, sock hop dance, the rump parliament. <laughs> um, and this isn't shout- calling out anyone. I promise this. I was listening to like podcasts on this war, like the first Anglo War, mm-hmm. leading into the second one here. Not one mentioned Queen Dick. And really? I'm, I'm sorry. You have to mention a name that good. I'm oh, sorry. my God. You got it. It's just so it's much. It's history. It's history, damn it. I uh, mean, if you don't say it, you'll repeat it. Exactly. <laughs> we don't want someone to have that stupid we don't name want to again. Be, yeah, we, find me one drag queen out there who would say, I would totally go by Queen Dick. They would not. <laughs> they know it's two on the nose, damn it there. Uh, so rump parliament's power, or the power of the kingdom here, goes from Richard to the rump parliament and pretty prominent English politicians here, man by the name of Charles Fleetwood and John Lambert, who for the next year from uh, 1659 to 1660 here, will pretty much just control the government as things kind of get back in a line as they kind of figure all this shit out here. In October 1659, uh, the governor of Scotland, uh, regent, or not regent, a a governor here, uh, under the Cromwells here, he marched south with his army uh, from Scotland to mm-hmm. oppose these two English politicians here. That he didn't like their rule, uh, so he marched south here. A revolution's happening. However, Lambert's force, one of these guys here, uh, began to pretty much abandon this John Lambert guy here. So they're mm-hmm. they're fighting here, and the English politicians troops now start to desert him so he has to flee and return to london pretty much alone where following him is this invading governor mm-hmm. so he went and tried to fight him to stop him failed and he had to retreat back here uh by the start of 1660 the next year the other english politician who is in charge of running the government here is relieved of his command of troops and is ordered to appear before parliament to answer their questions about his conduct so within a year one guy's already been embarrassed and forced to flee and another guy has no longer any troops oh wow things are going great one year after oliver cromwell but if they gone. don't have a good leader so it's just falling apart then? everything's going to fall apart okay. here uh in march 1660 uh, this John Lambert fellow mm. is sent to our fun place here, the Tower of London. Oh, wow. He's in prison there. However... This thing has, like, a strong, like, stance of history. Like... It was a prison for, like, 400 years. Yeah, like, holy shit. <laughs> there's probably some World War One veteran like when you that was, like... like a... Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, there's probably a World War One veteran who was kept there at some point. Yeah. Like, I, it's been forever. <laughs> but I'm thinking, like... 
you know those cartoons of like when it's like oh how long's that prisoner been here and it's like a skeleton it's like oh like he, the, that's like, a true you could, fact you would that. actually see like skeletons have been a, there for a, a long ass a, time that is a thing that could be here. it's just like a hoarder it's like how long has this been here oh he was sentenced, i don't want to acknowledge it he was like, sentenced to five life sentences he's through four and a half in like 20 <laughs> years we have to unlock him it's, it's weird. like can we remove these skeletons not yet he was sentenced <laughs> to a fair trial damn it we're just running out of space <laughs> share share the chains with the skeletons <laughs> god damn it who cares if he has skinny bones? <laughs> so uh, John Lambert here, he's imprisoned in the Tower of London, March 1660. Mm-hmm. However, April 1660, a month later, he escapes the tower, descending down a silk rope where he's met by six men who then get on a barge and mm-hmm. they sail away down the river. So he just made an escape from the fucking Tower of London with like, a, a posse pretty much yeah this is like them breaking a old west gunslinger out of the fucking city jail pretty much here uh he is sailed away from here he tries to rekindle a, a english civil war in favor of the previous commonwealth pretty much uh before oliver cromwell took over here by issuing a proclamation calling on all supporters of the quote good old cause to meet him on the battlefield Meet me on the battlefield, damn it. Uh, the good old cause was the name given to the reasons that motivated the English soldiers to fight on behalf of Parliament and for the Commonwealth. That's what they would call it, the good old cause. Okay. Uh, however, uh, April 22nd, not too long after he's escaped, Lambert is recaptured uh, by a Colonel Richard Ingoldsby, who was a judge at the trial of King Charles I back in 1649 who signed the death warrant for the king. So this is the guy who signed the warrant to kill the king. Uh, however, he was hoping to win a pardon in the new regime where he would not want to be killed. How do you like, get away with that? Uh, the king? You, you, it happens for nine years, and then this shit starts to happen. Yeah, okay. And like I said, if you guys give us enough reviews, we'll get into understanding why that and how that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> there we go, plugging ourselves. <laughs> so yeah, this uh, Richard Ingoldsby, he's the judge who signed off on the death warrant for King Charles the or yeah, King Charles the first. That he thought if he handed over this rebel mm-hmm. to the current uh, regime, that he would get a pardon and he would n- not be executed for his role in killing the old king. Oh wow! Uh, there, from here, I guess you could say, John Lambert is reincarcerated at the Tower of London. I assume, or I hope, at least not in the same room as before. Yeah. Like, how about one without a window? Can we do that here? <laughs> okay, good. Uh, he would eventually be found guilty of high treason in 1662. Okay. Not good when you're found of high treason. Even yeah. low treason sounds bad, <laughs> but high treason. Uh, 1667, he was transferred to, quote, Drake's Island, which is partially named for Francis Drake, nice. off the coast of England, and he would there die during a severe winter in 1683. So uh, this yeah, this guy is uh, sentenced to treason <laughs> and then sent off to die here. It's not like they have heating back then. Not too much here. I don't uh, even think you would like get water fed like you should. Like, well, there's today. a reason all these major prisons are on obscure islands. They're like, even if they break off the prison, they can't get off the fucking islands. Yeah. And that's why there's Alcatraz. <laughs> that's why there's uh, the place where they put Napoleon. There's a reason for that. Now, this is what we're going to be getting into just for a little bit, which is an era called the Restoration. which is Era? Era. Yeah, era. The restoration is where they restored 
the monarchy in England here. Oh, I thought you were going to be like old clocks. Yeah. Or no, wrist watches. That would be really cool. There's a YouTube channel I love, Restor- like, like Red Dead Redemption or something like that. Oh, like Red Dead Restoration or something? Yeah, that's yeah. it. I love Red it. Dead Redemption. Yeah, that's it. I got the name. It's a, it's a great Thanks for saving that for me. <laughs> Sponsored by Rockstar. Uh, now, so uh, this is a quote I found here. Quote, the restoration was not what the governor of Scotland, who started this whole thing, Monk, an apparent engineer of the restoration, had intended. So the guy who started it did not expect him to be the starter of it. He's, I just pushed the snowball. I didn't expect it to turn into an avalanche here. Uh, April 4th, <laughs> it is a great that. analogy, I know. April 4th, 1660, Charles Stuart II mm-hmm. issues the Declaration of Breda, or Brenda, that's with an out net, without a water filter. Brenda filter, yep. <laughs> in which he made several promises for his reclamation of the crown of England. This is the guy who's going to become the new king of England here. Ooh. In May, Parliament, English Parliament, organized by the governors, proclaimed that Charles II had been the lawful monarch of England since the execution of his father, Charles I, in January 1649 here. Uh, historian. Tim Harris, a historian of this uh, of this uh, topic right mm. there, he described it like this, quote, constitutionally, it was as if the last 19 years had never happened, <laughs> which I think the title of this episode might be constitutionally, this never happened, because yeah. I love that line. <laughs> so the last 19 years didn't happen at all, and now I should clarify that this is the Wilkinson Professor of European History at Brown University, Tim Harris, not Tim Harris, starting cornerback for the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> I should clarify that just in case you think you see him in an NFC, I AFC game. I don't, like, don't care for is, sports. <laughs> is this the guy that is talking about the restoration in England? Oh, yeah. wow. He's a two-way guy. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, Charles, yeah, so it's constitutionally never happened the last 19 years. Never, <laughs> ever happened here. Charles returned, Charles II returned from exile and landed at Dover on March 25th, 1660. Um, he entered London on May 29th, 1660, a few days later, his 30th birthday. Hey! He had <laughs> balloons everywhere and, you know, 30 flirty card cards <laughs> for him. It was really nice to celebrate his return to england may 29th was made a public holiday popularly known as restoration day or oak apple day that's a jump okay cool yeah. in some parts of the country the holiday is still celebrated uh it has also been known as shick shack day now shake shack shake shack day not shake shack not shake shack sponsored by however uh <laughs> not however i was like why the fuck is it called Oak Apple Day? Yeah, and like how did it get to there? It's way more fucking stupid than you would ever expect. <laughs> Traditional <laughs> celebrations to commemorate the event often entailed the wearing of oak apples or kind of sprigs of oak leaves, so kind of leaves on you, in reference to the occasion after the Battle of Worcester in September 1651, where Charles II escaped the approaching army by hiding in a nearby oak tree. 
anyone who failed to wear a sprig of oak risked being pelted with bird eggs. <laughs> so not killed. Not killed, but you'd be hit with bird eggs. Oh, this is such so, an inconvenience. <laughs> so they're celebrating that time he ran away and hid in a tree. And if you don't, you're going to get hit with bird eggs. I mean, that's, that's better a, than death. Like, that's yeah. better than death, but it's a stupid <laughs> holiday celebration. It's like, go ahead. I need a shower anyways. Uh, in southern England, this is where it gets even weirder. Yeah. In southern England, those not wearing oak leaves were liable to being pinched, ri- giving rise to the unofficial name of it being called Pinch Bum Day. Similarly, it was known as Bumping Day. So in one part of the country, if you didn't wear oak leaves on this day, you could either get hit with bird eggs or in another part of the country, if you didn't do it, they would pinch your ass all fucking day. <laughs> I was thinking about how someone could like have like a cocaine addiction and just, just like, pop, 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 it's like, pop, pop, oh, pop, this pop. is not the event I thought it would be. <laughs> this actually gave rise to baseball as one guy would just whip <laughs> the bird egg and they're like, whoa, that clocked 90, man. Whoa. Um <laughs> First thing on Charles II's docket of being king here was to politically clear the air about that one time pretty much half of England rose up and publicly murdered his dad. Yeah. You know, you got to settle the air on that. Like, hey, Uh it's okay. Or it's kind of okay. But like realistically like they're just trying to like gain like control but not like yeah so he's scare people to dictatorship yeah he wants to come in and be like the same kind of like oh if we have a good honest king they'll respect us and not (laughs) rise up and murder me like my dad uh (laughs) end of august 1660 so within first few months of his reign here Mm -hmm. the indemnity and oblivion act is passed that was a general pardon for every everyone who had committed crimes during the english civil war and time between the royal governments so if he had committed a litany of crimes you would get a blanket pardon however there were a few exceptions for those crimes so if you were just a truly shitty person you were you were not getting a pardon you could still get charged here okay go before that say that again Let's say you stole some bread. Yeah. If you did it in that time period, those 19 years that legally did not exist, oh. it's cleared. It's all good. You're fine. Nice. However, if you murdered someone or a few other things- During that time? You could be charged. So Okay. So the obvious like big yeah. no-nos. Yeah. So the, ba- the f- certain crimes that were not exempt from this pardon were murder uh-huh. if, if you were not granted a license to murder by the king or parliament so <laughs> i guess this is where james bond's license to kill fucking gets its roots or something <laughs> i don't know uh another one that was an exception was piracy so if you're a pirate at least not a privateer okay uh makes sense buggery buggery which is anal sex so <laughs> wait i really yeah anal sex or the intercourse in the butt so they just found out about it if, if you were found out to have what if, like, two f- people are both into it? Too bad. God really? said. Really? God said. Okay. Uh, so, buggery. If you had anal sex, you were, uh, you could be charged. Rape. Well, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And witchcraft. I'm happy that, like, I don't know, like, so, something as, like, rape back then was still acknowledged. Like, not... It was a pretty violent thing still. Because but now it, we're having, like, issues with just, it's like... all you kinds know, of crazy Yeah. Shit. So, yeah, if you were a uh, butt-fucking witchcraft in the fucking 1650s in England... Time was up for you, motherfucker. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the last one was witchcraft here. However, people being in the name or being named in this act that gave pl- uh, that 
gave exemptions for the pardon here mm-hmm. uh, as being directly involved in the regicide of Charles the first, which is what they call a murder of a fucking monarch regicide. Those directly involved were still going to be charged with their crimes. Okay. So if you were involved with the murder of Charles the first, you were definitely going to be fucking charged here. You're going to be put on trial. Really? Yes. Okay. In this act over a hundred and so they're Four? still trying to... Yeah, yeah. I feel like if they ignored that, wouldn't they get the country more united with like this people? Well, you want to hold p- some people accountable yeah, for public murder. Yeah, and then they'll get too comfortable. Yeah, they're like, oh, okay. you can do it again. So 104 people were specifically excluded as being involved, uh, with 49 of these being named Englishmen and two unknown executioners were to face capital charges for their role in the execution of Charles I. So instead of just one murder suspect, we have over 50 murder suspects. Okay. Hopefully we can pin it on one of these motherfuckers. Yeah. (laughs) God, I hope so. Fingers crossed here. Uh, Now, of those who were on the list to be tried and then punished, as these were pretty much just sham trials, they are like, oh, you were involved, you're in it. Um, Of the 104 of them. Like you're just guilty no matter what you say. Pretty much. I mean, okay. there's not a lot of uh, what if you were, like, actually innocent? judicial trial. <laughs> ah, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> it's been nine years, motherfucker. You've had your due. God will judge you. Uh, of the 104 people that were on that list, 24 had already died. So o- almost a quarter of them were already dead. Yeah. Including Oliver Cromwell. He was on this list because he was involved in the killing of Charles I. Okay. However, he's not being excluded here. For those who were alive... You know, you the three-fourths of them, pretty much. Mm-hmm. A trial was held. They were convicted, obviously. They mm-hmm. were sentenced. And then in true uh, English fashion, they were then hanged, drawn, and quartered, which, just as a reminder... So there's a lot of potlucks going on. A lot of potlucks. Not enough time, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, we'll maybe we'll <laughs> get one here. But uh, So they were dragged through the streets of London, hanged by the neck. They were then cut down alive, obviously. Yeah. Disemboweled beheaded, and then dismembered, cut into four quarters. So wait, how many people was this? Uh, that would be a little eh, a little over 70. Damn. Well, like at a- least that were uh, on the being excluded. I didn't see an exact number about how many were executed. Yeah, so if, like for the potluck, it's just like, oh, I can't go to every event, We need man. catering. I can't eat we the need same catering, thing every time, too. Yeah, we need to put them together here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, for those who had already died... Uh, you know, they might have been dead, but death would not give them an escape from this fucking punishment. Yeah. As Parliament ordered that those deceased regicides, like Oliver Cromwell, were to be sentenced to a posthumous execution. A what execution? Posthumous. What's Either that? they're going to kill a dead man. <laughs> is that really what it is? This is what's happening here. Death <laughs> after death. I would be so pissed if they like made me to bury, uh, like dig out someone's grave just to like. Oh, it gets a lot better here. Wait, Those, really? Oh, the remains. The the deal was the remains were to be exhumed, hanged, beheaded, and then the laws of treason put a traitor's remain at the disposal of the king. Dude, everyone at the potluck would be pissed. It's like, what do you this think? We're, what are you taking us for? Like, this is the smelliest potluck ever. The quality of these potlucks are just getting worse. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we've had like 10 this week. It just doesn't mean anything yeah. when you keep coming in, keep coming in. And not keep all of them are alive <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> A few of them smell. <laughs> Late January 1661. Um, years no, not even a year into henry or oh, charles side note whoever's like listening doesn't get that joke for, was it season one we did the podcast yes yeah, season joke? one <laughs> i mentioned at the beginning i think it might have actually been thomas cromwell's execution yeah but i mentioned 
this is how executions were like a public all day event. Yeah, and we would bring po- and our I was saying dishes. What would you do before the po- <laughs> like the execution? And we were joking, saying, "I think it's a potluck or something." Yeah. So that's what we're we're going on here. <laughs> we're not psychopaths eating while someone gets murdered. Yeah, yeah. You eat before they get it's murdered. It's just a joke put that it, we keep dragging on. You can't so. eat during or after the execution. <laughs> what the hell? So January 1661, a mob rushes the Henry the Seventh Chapel uh, in London here, okay, searching for Cromwell's body. They know God. it's buried here. Uh, however, they had kind of hidden his body pretty much. Okay. They put it inside of a wall of a ch- of the chapel here, and the coffin was sealed so tightly that it was hard for the mob to get Cromwell's body out of his coffin. But it they knew too, where it was? They knew where it was, but it was so big and so tightly sealed that they... How we had said there was lead, there was wood, then there's another layer. Oh my god! It's one of those boxes where you open up. It's like there's another fucking box in here. God fucking <laughs> damn it! You open it up, it's another one. Damn it! It's Russian nesting dolls. Uh, <laughs> on the anniversary, they got his body out. Waited a few days as on the anniversary of the execution of Charles the First, mm-hmm. Cromwell and the other dead guys they had gotten, uh, they were put out in open open coffins. As they were about to be executed. Oh my God. So these dead guys are out in open coffins. Then they are dragged through the streets of London. Doesn't get the same effect when they're already dead. They're probably like crumbling too. Yeah, they're just falling apart. Oh, his arm's gone. Damn it. We can't do anything now. Fuck. Oh, his head's popped off. They have to like keep it on there. Get glue. (laughs) Get rope. Get the rope. Damn it. Uh, So they're dragged through the streets of London to their gallows. At the gallows, the dead bodies... Are then strung up and hanged. Or what's left of the drag body. Yeah, what's like, left it's probably of the, just like feet. That's yeah, it. <laughs> the, the partial remains at this point. <laughs> There's just a random dead body without feet, like in the middle of the road somewhere. Yeah, where is this foot from? Oh, grab it, children. <laughs> we need meat. Um, oh, so these dead bodies are then hung at the gallows for full public view. And until, then they just snap like right away. <laughs> until about four o'clock that afternoon. So Wait, for, how long have these bodies been dead? Like a while, right? Uh, Cromwell's has been dead since. 58 so it is about three years in a coffin at this point yeah that's crispy very crispy it was subject <laughs> sorry to, to fast use the word de- crispy <laughs> no it's a great way because it was already in fast decay like two months after it died yeah. so at this point it's not very yeah, they didn't good have, like embalming fluid back yeah then, it was not a not said. a very accurate science so they're hung <laughs> until late afternoon like, four they o'clock they buried people like around that time they weren't even sure if they were like actually dead they just threw them in the fucking ground. Yeah, because like there was a point, I don't know when in history, they like opened up coffins and found scratch marks. and. Oh, shit. yeah, those are always great. Uh, when uh, <laughs> I remember it was like Ripley's Believe It or Not, but it was like a similar time where like so many people were getting buried alive. That, that they had bells. Yeah, they had like bells and like, nope, not dead. Mm-hmm. Pop them out. Pop. Get the excavator. <laughs> get, yeah. get the shovels, damn it. <laughs> um, so it's four o'clock. They take the bodies down uh, after being taken down. Has this dead body suffered enough? No, because then Cromwell is beheaded with eight blows. I don't understand how that takes eight fucking blows. Do you have like... Maybe he just got really dense (laughs) somehow. I don't know how it works. The axe bounces off. Yeah. Shit. God damn it. (laughs) Hold on. We need two guys here. Then the beheaded head, the bee head, is then placed on a metal spike. Uh And then that spike is placed on a 20-foot oak pole and raised above westminster hall so pull on a pole pull uh pull on a pole yeah okay step one step two and then it's (laughs) on top of the building here uh his body 
and the other dead guy, the other people who are executed here, mm-hmm. were discarded at the, quote, pit of the famous gallows of Tyburn in London, which is where I believe Oliver Cromwell was also executed. So it's come full circle here. Okay. It's come full circle. Wow. Is, and Tiber is the place I remember because I found it on a map and it was so known as the gallows that the symbol they showed it was just a set of gallows. <laughs> That's where we kill people. Sweet. Dang. Uh, so his head is now going to be our main character for the next few minutes here. Okay. Because it gets weird. It gets really fucking weird here. His head is now displayed outside of Westminster Hall for the next two decades. What? For two plus decades. Like it somehow stayed there that it long? It stayed out there. Uh, it was on that on that spike 20 feet above Westminster Hall until 1685. What happened? Did just the bird take it away or something? Close. It was nature. It came down when a gust of wind blew it down. Oh, the wind- I would hate to just like, you know, like you're sitting at a park bench and then you just hear something rolling by. And <laughs> so what is that haystack pile? Nope, that's a head. <laughs> that would be your reaction. Or the reaction of the person that saw it was <laughs> the soldier that found it carried it home and hid it in his house. What? So he's that's not all I would do or even so guess. <laughs> already within one cent, one part. Was it of, gone forever after that? Oh, it gets even better. <laughs> so the, the head is the head is has been blown off by the wind, and a soldier now has it. Mm-hmm. Uh, through a few generations of the soldier's family. The head is still in it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, with his granddaughter's husband, so what, two, no, grand, yeah, granddaughter. So two generations later, uh, a gentleman by the name of Samuel Russell, who I saw was described as a, quote, not successful London actor, which <laughs> imagine historically being known as a not successful actor. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Like, what are you known for? Holding a dead guy's head and not being good at my day yeah. job like wow i'm sorry dude just imagine being like an unsuccessful like hermit <laughs> like yeah, how would you be able to pull you want to be off? a hermit but you're like i just love my neighbors so yeah. much <laughs> hey ted you know he's waving oh, shit i need the beef to myself damn it <laughs> um so this samuel russell guy has the the cromwell's head and he sold it to a jeweler in the nearby area, who then sold it to a private museum in the early 1700s here. Uh, and it was sold at the time for about 230 pounds, so a couple mm-hmm. hundred bucks at this point. Uh, so it's now held by a museum. So it's, they, it actually is somewhere today? Like, it's Oh, it's somewhere today. I can talk about it. I have the whole story. And they story. know it's his head? It's not like someone else's random head? I'll get to that. Oh, it's fun boy. Here. It's fun here. So it's being held by this museum. They try and put it on display. Um, then in 1814, the head was sold from this kind of museum ownership guy to a Kent surgeon named Josiah Henry Wilkinson for about 100 pounds. So in 100 <laughs> years, it depreciated by half at, at that point, which is yeah. not a good investment there on the museum's part, but I know they're not in it for the profit, I guess. They made, <laughs> they made enough money from people going in. Who, who cares? But the head then was passed down in the Wilkinson family for nearly 150 years. So they would... That's weird. They would show it to guests at dinner and eventually also anyone who asked to see it. So... I guess within the neighborhood, they were known as the guys with Oliver Cromwell's head. If someone had like a decomposed like head, like in their house, and told you if you asked you what you want to see, would you want to see it? Would you see it? 
when it's like a few hundred years old i guess yeah at that point yeah. like if they're like yeah it's like two weeks old i'm like nine one one like yeah if, i gotta if, get out of here you're like yeah hey, i gotta go get something for my car i will be right back oh yeah I'm not calling I, the cops yeah i'm not running away from you i'm running to my car because i forgot something the windows are up i think i heard rain but yeah no if it was like a couple hundred year old head like that's a ripley's believe it or not fan in me where it's like okay. i don't know yeah okay. Like, I don't want to touch it or hold it, but I'll mm-hmm. take a look at it. I'll, I'll check it out, <laughs> I guess. Um, so it's in this Wilkinson family group here. Uh, eventually, the head was passed down to a man by the name of, this is a sweet fucking name, Canon Horace Wilkinson. Fucking Canon Wilkinson up in this bitch. <laughs> fucking sweet. He said he kept Cromwell's head at the foot of his bed in a box which his cat would sleep on oh my god and then he would show it off to visitors as a conversation piece (laughs) so this is now a 250 plus year old beheaded dead man's head yeah being shown off as a conversation piece and just casually being in a box that a cat sleeps in here this man ruled england this man ruled england (laughs) um now uh i actually have a fun little picture. That's just so beyond is bizarre. It, nope, this is a... Uh, is this it? Okay, I'm not sure if this is canon, but if you want to just... If you want to just come around, or we can kind of move it. Yeah, we can move it like this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the Wilkinson family, and that is Oliver Cromwell's head right there. I'm kind of happy this photo is really old, and it's kind of hard to see the head. Yeah, like you could... Or like, I don't want to see detail. Like. Yeah, you don't want to get the up close and personal. But yeah, this is the Wilkinson family guy right here. And he has like a tobacco pipe in his other hand while yeah, he's Yeah, he has a head. tobacco head, and yeah. then the head is on a, on a spike. Like you would think like a selfie stick in a way, but... Yeah, like... I'm getting selfie stick vibes right there, or like a... like a mortar stick. Like, you know, a mortar, like the thing they have at restaurants like... Yeah pepper that's what it looks like that's set on there i mean it would probably make the minnesota state fair proud with everything being on a stick very true it's very minnesotan in spirit right there oliver cromwell's head on a stick that might be the title name that might watch it be there for only one year why won't why didn't that return that was a really great exhibit weird i don't get it weird um in the early half of the 20th century so 1900s Questions arose as whether this actually was the real head of Oliver Cromwell after another head in the collections of a prestigious British museum also claiming to be Cromwell's head. Really? Was found to be a fake. That one was... But was that a real head, though? It was a real head, but it was... Or actually, let me check, because this is where I said I'll shout out an institution. Mm -hmm. I was looking up this information, and I came across the Cromwell Museum... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and their Twitter account where they had a thread on Cromwell's head and I tweeted at them a question for clarification. Really? And they got back to me even though this thread is almost three years old. Ooh. Which, shout outs to them for being active on Twitter. Nice. Uh, yes, it was uh, the other head at Oxford, as this other museum was like a part of Oxford here, mm-hmm. uh, was shown to be a fake. It was a real skull, but it wasn't Oliver Cromwell's. Okay. But uh, did the people th- thought they, they was thought real? it was Oliver Cromwell? Oh, okay. So they weren't like trying to scam anybody. Yeah, they thought it was. Who knows when the person was scamming. But it's like, but whose head is this? Who's, yeah, did that, they ever figure that out? I didn't follow up on that. It Probably just, not. I feel like you would, they just would just a random say that. Guys. Okay. Uh, but so to confirm this, the head owned by the Wilkinsons here, man on the spike, 
a study by the Royal Archaeological Institute, which is a real, <laughs> like, serious business thing, like a real serious thing in England here, uh, in 1934, using techniques like X-ray and other, you know, pieces of technology, mm -hmm. uh, concluded Wilkinson's head was a, the real thing. Really? <laughs> that it actually was Oliver Cromwell's head. Uh, now... That's a weird thing, like, mm -hmm. oh, so we've got a ex-dictator's head in the house right now. Yeah. Do you think they ever set it up at dinner and, like, <laughs> just like, hey, Ollie, or what have you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> in 16, or not 16, I'm sorry, in 1960, jumping a little ahead. Pretty 19, recent compared 19, to, like, everything else. Talking about, yeah. The Wilkinson's head, or not Wilkinson's head, I'm sorry, the Wilkinson family gave Cromwell's head to Cambridge University, where Cromwell had studied as a student. The head was buried in the chapel there, yeah. somewhere in the chapel, but the exact position was not publicly disclosed, but a, they put a plaque down that marks the approximate location here. Yeah, okay. So from on top of Westminster Hall mm -hmm. to a soldier's house to various uh, boxes away for 400 years, eventually it ended up at Oxford or at, a, at Cambridge in their chapel in the floor here. No way. And that's where it ended up here. <laughs> but did they but they did confirm it was his head? It confirmed that it was Cromwell's head. It is incredible, honestly. And uh so they are like, oh god damn it. Uh various conspiracy theories exist as to what happened to both Cromwell's body and his head. I don't believe what the big media, big head wants you to know. <laughs> uh, a rumor swirled that Cromwell's other daughter, Mary, had his body rescued from the pit and stored at her husband's house, which I don't get. I'll be honest. Save that dead body. <laughs> People also began to question whether the body mutilated at Tyburn, you know, the whole execution thing that they just did, <laughs> they began to question whether that body and the head seen on Westminster Hall was actually oliver cromwell's at all or if they had mistakenly grabbed the wrong person yeah hey did we execute the wrong dead body okay i just wanted to confirm that we got the right <laughs> one there i didn't whew, i was scared right there for a second there kind of wrapping up cromwell here um <laughs> as he is an insane person and like i said we could do a whole fucking series on him yeah cromwell was a puritan a very strict puritan uh puritans were protestants who wanted to purify the church of england Mm -hmm. And during his time as Lord Protector, military dictator, Cromwell banned or imposed strict rules on many things in England here. So let's just find out some of them because they're pretty okay. fucking weird here. Uh, first one is just forms of entertainment that were seen as sinful, things like theater. So, And Cromwell banned this? Yes, Cromwell, okay. 1650. So theater, uh, all those big places of like shakespeare that were a few decades was after he like a failed actor or something he's he just wasn't like a failure holding just, a grudge or no, whatever he, he just thought they were sinful and just hated theater he's like i fucking hate musicals god oh, damn it get through i don't get it so nobody else should yeah <laughs> uh the other form of entertainment that he banned yeah was bear baiting uh, which we've talked about a derivative of it, which was bull baiting bull baiting yeah yes. i was actually just thinking about that okay and but uh, with bears pretty much and it is so much more insane than you would ever fucking believe. Compared to the bull baiting? Yeah, just the whole thing of bears here. Uh, so animal blood sports were among the most beloved entertainment of all of 16th and 17th century England. Couldn't see with that. With bear baiting being by far, that's a fucking tongue twister, mm -hmm. the most popular sport of it here. Uh, now, if you're like, 
What the fuck is bear baiting? Mm-hmm. Let me explain it. Bear baiting is a blood sport in which a chained bear and one, uh, one or more dogs are forced to fight one another. It may also involve pitting a bear against another animal. So this is like a death match here with so bear. So first was the bull in the whatever episode we did in yep. season one. Now it's just the bear. Bear. I mean, they're very similar sports here. Many of the same Londoners who flocked to see Shakespeare's Globe Theater also were patrons of the nearby bear gardens where bears, dogs, bulls, chimps, and other creatures routinely fought to the death in front of roaring crowds. <laughs> this is fucking insane shit. Mm-hmm. One comment on London in 1639, so like a decade and some change before London or yeah. Cromwell takes over, says, quote, you may hear the shouting of men, the barking of dogs, the growling of the bears, and the bellowing of the bulls mixed in a wild but natural harmony, end quote. <laughs> Someone found beauty in this? Someone found beauty in Bloodsport. Uh, oh, wow. Quote. That was a serial killer head of their time. Oh, very much so. He has bodies <laughs> under his floor. Quote. He's got more heads in his closet. <laughs> All of the heads here. Quote. <laughs> It was a very pleasant sport to see, said one high-ranking English royal official. That's also a serial killer right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> pleasant is not the word I would use. Um, now, since bears had to be imported from abroad, because not a lot of bears in London, naturally, you know, just roam in the streets and shit like that, uh, it cost a lot of, it was a great cost. It was a lot mm. of money to import them. And steps were usually taken to ensure that the bears didn't die in the ring. Uh, After several bouts, after several fights, some of the animals even became minor celebrities. Uh, London bear pits were home to bears with such nicknames as Ned Whitting, Harry Hunks, and Blind Bess. Another famous bear, the great Sackerson, was even referenced by name in a Shakespearean play. Okay. All of that translates to bear wrestlers. (laughs) Because when it says... Steps were taken to ensure that they didn't die in the ring. Uh-huh. They became minor celebrities with nicknames and crowds. Really? I mean, that sounds like fucking indie wrestling. Yeah. In verbatim, pretty much. <laughs> the bear fucking flexed, went Hulk mania, and then fucking elbow dropped the other bear. It was fucking crazy. He was just about to slam him in the head with a fucking chainsaw, but then the fucking refs called it. It's fucking bullshit, man. <laughs> fucking bullshit. Um, even during this golden age of English drama, Shakespeare, all these great works of literature, yeah. audiences of all social classes continue to attend the bear pits. That's what the, that's what they were called, the bear pits here. Okay. Queen Elizabeth I, someone we've talked about, was said to be a bear-biting fan and once <laughs> organized an exhibition for the visiting French ambassador. I can see it. She's got a feisty side. <laughs> Let's see some bears fight. Uh, <laughs> King James I... King of Israel. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, was such an aficionado that he hosted private shows involving polar bears and oh, lions. Fuck. <laughs> borrowed from the Tower of London. Damn. That's... I don't know if I could be able to watch this. I'm not sure if I could bear it. Ah. <laughs> and the podcast is over. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. No. Uh, the English arena hosted a range of animal fights that the scholar Stephen Dickey described as a, quote, carnival of cruelty. Yeah. As there was 
Rat. So he couldn't be bear it. No, he 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 couldn't bear it either. Bum. <laughs> Rat baitings, badger baitings, dog fights, cock fights. One recorded show was said to involve a chimpanzee strapped to the back of a horse, <gasps> and then set loose into a ring chased by a pack of ferocious dogs. The Italian merchant who witnessed this wrote, "Quote." It is wonderful to see the horse galloping along, kicking up the ground and charging at the bit, with the monkey holding very tightly to the saddle and crying out frequently when he is bitten oh. by the dogs. Oh, I feel like the horse would fuck up the dogs, though. Yeah, like, what is this one-sided fight here? Like, I get, like, a dog might get a good But if you think in. about, like, the evolution of a few hundred years of, like, dogs, they're probably just still a lot closer to the wolves than you can imagine. I guess or, at this but point. But that's just, who, I don't know. Who knows here? That's just based on me just saying that now. Who knows? We're not bear <laughs> experts. Uh, despite being ba- banned by Cromwell here, uh, by 1662, a new bear garden arena had been built that featured, th- this is like straight up new 2020 brand new baseball stadium level yeah. like, features here. They had a brand new stadium with an on-site pub with uh-huh. special windows that allowed patrons to watch the animals fighting while they ate and drank. So it was like courtside seating for the bullfights. Okay. Uh, I know it's like Rom, I can definitely see this being successful entertainment. It, it, this is the start of every single stadium yeah. at this point. If you're still doing this today, you're probably in a third world country yeah. or just an NFL player's basement. Yeah, pretty much. Hey, Michael <laughs> Vick no was class. great for the Eagles, damn it. <laughs> Two streets in South London are still called the Bear Gardens and Bear Lane after the gruesome displays that once took place in the area here. So still to this day, there's a Bear Lane here. Wow. That was, which of things to ban, I can agree with Oliver Cromwell on. Maybe we shouldn't import bears for death fights. When you brought that, that was so random. (laughs) Like I said, when we go on tangents, it's to go to a fun roadside attraction, (laughs) damn it, which is bear fights. We're going to the bear (laughs) arena, damn it, the bear garden. Like I said, I'll agree with Oliver Cromwell on maybe don't import bears for death fights. I think that that's a hard controversial take but i'll stand by it damn it um so on the same level as bear death fights is if you were caught playing any sport on a sunday you could be whipped publicly that was a rule by fucking oliver cromwell i shouldn't laugh i don't know no, that's fucking that. hilarious like I hey, just, everything i've heard before has just been weird like it, oh like i said this is a weird episode uh if you were caught swearing in public you could be punished with a fine or a stint in prison so if you stubbed your foot and you said fuck you could go to jail what yeah publicly swearing not good um makeup was banned okay female makeup was banned and if a woman was caught by soldiers patrolling in town Uh wearing makeup it was scrubbed off i want my women all natural damn it yeah (laughs) real beauty damn it it wasn't like makeup at that time sometimes poisonous i mean probably yeah it still is but <laughs> until like 2000 it's like you're just like you're just like realizing you're making a situation <gasps> awkward it's like i'm gonna rub off this makeup it's like no and it's oh there's no makeup yes i could have told you that oh you're, you're just naturally beautiful <gasps> and that's true love in england there uh so makeup swearing bear baiting all on the same level to oliver cromwell um <laughs> This is where I was saying he is so Christian that it's weird that he was okay with Jews. 
No one was allowed to attend church service for Christmas, and anyone thought to be buying food for celebrations on Christmas had it confiscated. Uh, Puritans wanted people to spend Christmas contemplating Jesus' life rather than any form of celebration. That is so... That is, like, weirdly, like, super Christian. Like, even, like, cults that Uh are Christian are like, take a day off. Wait... (laughs) You said they didn't. They weren't allowed to celebrate Christmas. They weren't. They they quote unquote celebrated it by reflecting on Jesus's pain, suffering. Oh, okay. And like I heard his kind of like, his okay, sacrifice. I the okay. Yeah. So it was him, his sacrifice, not presents, food, celebrations. And wait, how does this go back to the Jewish people? I was saying he's so Christian that he hates people celebrating Christmas, but he wants Jews to come into his country. And become Christians, but still, it's like this weird inverse where he's so pro-Christian, he becomes semi I just think open. overall that sounds confusing. Like, it is. I don't know how that really adds up. Welcome to England. Yeah. Welcome to history, man. <laughs> how the <laughs> fuck does any of this fucking make sense? God damn it. Um, now, that's his grab bag. We're just going to quickly, we're running a little long, but we're just going to start <laughs> the beginning of the Restoration next week, crash course between Wait, England. Wait, is this it? Are this we... Is, the wrap up here. We have oh, a last wow. few things. Last okay, few really things. quick. You say before you say your thing. Like I was expecting this episode to go more steps of how like colonizing like the Americas was. This I, was like a random tangent. I, I like really, it, but yeah, <laughs> I really I, like my intentions. If you look at my notes, were like let's just get back to England as quick as we can. But then I saw Queen Dick and I saw all this <laughs> stuff, and I was like, I can't not talk about this here. Yeah. So restoration and restoration England is kind of a part that goes into the colonies, America, because they're back under a king. They're back under a monarch pretty much here. Uh, (laughs) Charles, he's the new king, uh, Charles I here. England could now get their sights back on, like set their sights back on the things that truly matter to them the most, the most important things, which is fighting anyone and everyone in mainland Europe. Okay. We just got to fight everyone that we possibly fucking can. Yeah. 1654 to 1660. We're just going back a couple of years. We're mm-hmm. catching up here. 1654, 1660, the same years that the English declare peace with the Dutch. Mm-hmm. They strike that uh, they strike that peace treaty there. Uh, they declare war on the Spanish. Mm-hmm. They're like, we can't not be at war. It's just physically impossible. Yeah. Those people who always need to be in a relationship, at this point, England just always needs to be at war. We yeah. need to be attacking someone, damn it. <laughs> we just don't know what to do with ourselves otherwise here. Um, they're attacking Spain, again, drawing from economic rivalries. They're like, okay. they're not, we're not making enough, enough money. Uh, each side attacked the other's commercial and colonial interests, colonies, ports, shipped shit like that, uh, with both privateers and naval forces in Europe and the Caribbean colonies doing the bidding. So it's kind of a two-sided war here. Okay. Uh, In the Caribbean colonies, a naval force of over 3,000 soldiers led by William Penn's father, so the guy who's going to eventually find Pennsylvania, his Uh father was sent across the ocean to attack Spanish possessions. They were like, go attack the Spain. The Spanish, pretty much. The assumed idea was they were coming for Hispaniola, which is Haiti and the Dominican Republic, that giant island in the Caribbean here. Uh, That was the assumed idea. However, the commanders were given the freedom to determine their own objectives upon the circumstances they faced. You can freestyle it if you want. You can just wing it if you want. Like, I've never heard that in any fucking war or any battle where it's like, you can do it. You can do whatever you want, man. Like <laughs> free will, pretty much. Like you can just, 
you know, go do whatever you want, pretty much. Mm. Uh, 1655, the attempted siege of Hispaniola's capital, Santa Domingo, which I think is now modern-day Port-au-Prince. I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, but it failed because the Spanish had improved their defenses since previous attacks on the city. They learned their lesson pretty much. Oh, yeah. If we, if we defend it, we'll be good. Um, now, Cromwell, on the other hand, he's still alive at this point. Okay. He saw this defeat as God's judgment. <laughs> it couldn't have been they were better defended. It's God hates us here. <laughs> the defeat made the whole operation against the Spanish West Indies, so the Caribbean, a total failure. And Penn and the other commanders were imprisoned in the Tower of London upon their return to England. You might say the wrong thing one time in England and spend five years in the Tower of London. I swear to God. Oh, my God. Everyone, someone did something wrong. Tower of London. <laughs> Go. Uh, both England and Spain suffered heavy economic losses due to the six years of warfare between each other, uh, due to the naval blockades, privateering, destroying pretty much whatever left of their economies they uh -huh. had was gone. Uh, great thing. The restoration of Charles II helped to formally terminate this Anglo-Spanish war in September 1660, as Charles had been allied to Spain previously. However, no real treaty was actually signed. It was just kind of a, hey, could you not attack us? Yeah. yeah. We won't attack you. Okay, we're good now. Uh, Spanish... <laughs> you put that in writing? Uh, how about a handshake agreement? Yeah. Okay, deal. Spoken agreement. Spoken. Man, man's <laughs> just word. Just as good. Man's word. As our <laughs> words mean everything. Spain demanded the return of possessions that were taken by Cromwell's forces during the war, uh, which Charles was at first willing to agree to. He's like, yeah, I'll mm -hmm. think about it. Uh, this soon changed as Charles became frustrated with the king of Spain, Philip, as he failed to help his restoration. He's like, you're not going to help me. I'm not going to help you. A week after the war ended, Charles annulled the agreement and allowed English Parliament to annex all of those holdings. So he's like, I was, was willing to help you, but... You didn't help me, so fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> My land now. God damn it. <laughs> Mine. Um, there was one big, big winner from this whole war, from the English and the Spanish. Okay. The big winner was the Dutch. I knew it. <laughs> they, I mean, who we, else are you going to talk about? Weird. Like, <laughs> it was the Finnish. No. Uh, it was the Dutch. As the Spanish all but wiped out the English shipping, yeah. you know, all their trades, and the English blockaded the Spanish... The Dutch enjoyed a recovery from the losses that they had suffered in their war with England and took a large share of trade from the English. So they're okay. like, if we don't do anything, it looks like we're working out pretty well here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, a Dutch politician named Johan de Witt, not as sexy as a name as Dick DeWolf, but, you know, he's still pretty cool up there. He effectively took over complete control of the Netherlands' foreign policy for the next decade. He's pretty much just your czar at this yeah. point. Uh, steering the republic to a path of neutrality. He's like, what if we didn't engage in warfare? I like that idea. I like that idea a lot <laughs> right there. Uh, he realized that the Netherlands could ne neither, could uh, not neither, could never win a war against England or France, mm -hmm. and that even surviving a war would pretty much just destroy the country there. So he's okay. like, maybe we don't attack them. Yeah. Uh, not engaging in pointless wars would let Dutch commerce, the economy, to flourish, only if it's supported by enough of a strong land and naval force to... You don't want to be totally weak. You want to have like enough of a reason for them not to attack you, but you yeah. don't want to be threatening in their way. So if you yeah. have enough you know, big ships, they won't fuck with you here. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the Dutch used these kinds of years of 
when they weren't engaged in warfare pretty much to build up their fleet again uh, following the first Anglo-Dutch war. And uh, they build a lot of new warships and kind of improve their older Navy as well. If we invest in ourselves, things work out, it appears. Mm. Uh, by the start of the 1660s, the Dutch had been free to expand their trade network along pretty much the old English home water. So everything that would have been England, the Dutch can now kind of swoop up here. Okay. Uh, English commerce ground to a halt as they lost access to the Baltic and the Mediterranean seas. Not a good thing. The English were essentially in the same position that they had been before the first Anglo-Dutch War. They're like, we're back where we started. Same ruler, same problem, same issues. Uh, while the Dutch Republic had outperformed their economy in every market and became a giant world trading power. Ah, like, oh, damn it. Fuck. Uh, with, good for them. They're like killing good, it. Good for their Dutch shoes, their, yeah. their clogs, <laughs> all that fun stuff. With Charles in charge, uh, the English citizens were starting to feel like they now had a chance to turn things around and overtake the Dutch. That's okay. who their main rival is. At first, Charles wanted to remain friendly with the Dutch, as he was personally in a lot of debt with prominent families in the Netherlands mm -hmm. that had lent large sums of money to him during the Civil Wars. Yeah. So when you owe people money, you're not inclined to fuck them over because they might call on that. Yeah. Uh, a conflict soon arose between the Dutch and Charles's sister, uh, a pr Dutch princess, over the education of her son, William. Uh, the who was the son of a leader of a Dutch leader and also Charles's nephew here. Okay. Uh, William was designated as a quote child of the state, which is sounds like a shitty action movie from the eighties. Child of the state. Okay. Starring Frankie Muniz because <laughs> he would have been a young child at that point. Yeah. Um, he's a child of the state in 1660, implying he would be trained for high office in the Dutch, for, like in the Dutch government, not yeah. the English government. Uh, December 1660, uh, Charles's sister, the Dutch princess Mary, dies of smallpox in London while oh, no. visiting Charles, which is, I feel really not good. Yeah. Uh, when Mary died, she named Charles as the guardian of William, allowing England a measure of influence in Dutch politics, which they probably aren't a fan of. Uh, now, Charles demanded that the Dutch end their interference in training William. He was like, I want to educate my nephew here mm -hmm. and in a move to appease charles the dutch tried to placate kind of appease you know the king yeah. with high quality gifts here are 40 prostitutes for you sir have Wait, you actually no, that oh, okay. i wish <laughs> uh even better instead of 40 prostitutes such as paintings from dutch masters and italian renaissance works even here. better yeah. even better <laughs> art it was a collection of 24 renaissance paintings four dutch masters and 12 classical sculptures the painting and sculptures had been part of the rinsed collection okay assembled by garrett rinsed and his brother jan after the death of garrett who drowned in the canal in front of his house. <laughs> okay. Wow, that's a way to go. Yeah. His widow sold a selection of his finest works to the state of Holland in 1660 for then a considerable amount of 80,000 guilders or mm -hmm. roughly over $4.8 million. So the state just bought $5 million worth of art from this guy who died in a canal. Not a bad way to go. Yeah. Um, and then they gave him to the king. And then eventually, though, the Dutch relented on William, pretty much, uh, calming the tensions down, uh, but the feelings never really went away. Yeah. Like, eh, everyone's kind of pissed off at each other. <laughs> uh, the growing jealousy 
of the English towards the Dutch uh, with their expanded trading power had still not been addressed. They were still pissed off for 20 years of taking their trade. Okay. Uh, with every attempt by the British to challenge the or to change this reforms pretty much failing, the English doubled down on tariffs, protectionism, and hardcore regulations, even as the Dutch economy that was free saw a jar, large expanse, like mm-hmm. expansion. Uh, regulations like ship's crew now had to be 75% English rather than just a half. And ship captains were required to post a bond. And if they didn't post a bond or they didn't comply with everything, pretty much the ship and their cargo was seized, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not a good risk to take. Oh, if I fuck up a little bit, they'll take everything I own. Not a lot of incentive to go work with them. <laughs> privateering against the Dutch and seizing Dutch ships started to greatly increase in both the colonies and in uh, Europe. Yeah. So tensions are growing. And many English naval officers welcomed the prospect of a full-on conflict with the Dutch as they expected to make their names and earn a fortune in these battles uh, that they would obviously win as they had done in the previous battle here. Yeah. So things are boiling. Tensions are growing. It's the 1660s. Yeah. That's where we're going to end it on today's episode. <laughs> oh, wow. Next week, I promise, we're getting back to the colonies. Yeah. It's going to be... <laughs> I didn't know it was going to go there. Like I wanted to that. get us back to the colonies by the end of this episode, but everything I couldn't cut, like from... <laughs> that the was bear- a long one, too. I know. Ooh. Everything from the bear baiting to Oliver Cromwell's head, it's too crazy and too fucking weird yeah. here. But next week, we're going to be getting back to New Amsterdam. It might be the end of new amsterdam until the liquor came back in stores yeah uh it will be fun it will be uh kind of the the formation of new england from there we'll have the colonies we'll have new england and we can kind of steamroll to our to the (laughs) 1700s at that point instead dilly dallying jumping between countries at this point we can kind of just get in there uh but like we had said throughout the episode you guys enjoyed it if you enjoyed us, if you enjoyed the episode, if you want to hear more, uh-huh. leave us a review, five stars, uh-huh. and then leave And text. for now, we're only on Instagram until we get more motivated to do Yeah, we're, do we're, we're, getting, we're getting it all connected. <laughs> we're getting it all good. We're going to have yeah. a lot of fun. I'll post that picture of uh, Cromwell, uh, Cromwell's head. <laughs> uh, again, shout out the Cromwell Museum on Twitter for yeah. helping us out. I'll tweet at them. Hopefully, they'll retweet us and we'll become famous. It's all part of the plan there. Uh-huh. Next week, though, New Netherlands, <laughs> end. No Cromwell's head, dead. My name is Paul Davis. <laughs> Nolan Meshke. This has been the Back Row Lessons Podcast. Woo!